You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Hey, good morning, church. Welcome uh, to the live stream today. We're so glad that you tuned in. As you can see, and we talked about this last week, we're a little bit different than normal. Jordan and I are here together. Uh, we're going to just have a little bit of a conversation around some of the things we've talked about over the last few weeks uh, regarding spiritual formation, cultural engagement. Some of you sent in some great questions for us. We're going to just sort of have a conversation and talk through those things. And so, once again, thanks for being here. Yeah, we know oftentimes when, you know, with sermons, there's not a lot of opportunity to, to share back and forth. And so, you know, this time for us is, you know, Ryan and I, we talk a lot. And I think for us, it's an opportunity to come together and sort of just express a little bit more about what we're thinking, feeling, answering some questions that you guys have. Um, just kind of a pretty casual setting for both of us just to kind of talk through some things that we've been thinking through and working through. So, um, and all cards on the table here. We uh, just got the questions in, so we haven't like pre-planned yeah. any of this. None of this is scripted, so we're just letting you in on some of our conversation. And, and the reality is, we've been talking a lot about when we get to regather, Lord. Soon we pray. Uh, when we get to regather, that there's a lot more of this that we want to do even in person. We want to we want to engage more in conversations around what the text is saying. How do we apply this to our everyday lives? Um, and not so not so much monologue, mm-hmm. which is what what most churches do. Yeah. And so um, we're going to change that up a little bit when we get together as well. So, anyways, none of this is planned. Yeah. Planned, not scripted. But fun. All but fun. Uh, okay, so, so we've got some questions here, and um, you know we've been going to this Dominion series and kind of having different subsections under this. So we've kind of walking through. Discipleship, we've kind of walked through cultural, and so this one comes to the lens of uh, discipleship. Uh, so as one of your sermons, you talked about orienting our lives completely around Jesus. What are some practical steps we can take to recognize the patterns in our lives that keep us from turning toward him? That's a good question. Uh, the whole premise of the idea of dominion really was this idea of how do we orient our lives around the kingdom of God? How does the kingdom of God have dominion in our lives? Um and so when we've talked about spiritual formation, we've talked about one who, a disciple is one who orients their life around the kingdom of God. And, um, and so recognizing things that are keeping us from doing that is probably different for every single person in a lot of ways. But I think about the scripture that says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us um, throw off the weights and the sin that so easily entangles us. So I think we have to do some assessments to see, like, is it one sin that is keeping us from orienting our life around the kingdom of God and the ways of God? Um, so are we living in some sort of blatant, outright sin? The Lord has asked us to do things. We're, we're refusing to do them. Um, we just have bitterness or, or something just stored up in our heart. Uh, you name it, whatever that sin may be, that's obviously going to keep us... Um, not being able to engage with the Lord or orient our lives as well with the Lord. Um, so it assess like, okay, is there sin? And if there is um, sin, obviously repent from that. Um, and then the second thing is weights. And that's a little bit harder to sort of gauge because it's different for every person. Um, what might be a weight for you isn't necessarily a weight for me. Um, I'm a, you know, 
eight on the Enneagram. I'm a type A driving personality. I'm a list maker and I get get her done task guy. Not everybody is that way. Some people that would hinder them to think, man, I've got to do all these things. And so um, I think though, when it comes down to it, assessment, an honest assessment, like where is my heart really? It's I know it's not sin, but I feel a weightiness when I'm, I have too much on my schedule. So I need to find margins in my schedule. Um, I have too much weightiness because I'm not, I'm staying up too late. I'm not getting up early and starting my day with some quiet time. Some people like to finish their day with quiet time. It's okay. But that's what makes that a little more difficult. Like where each individual person finds themselves in that, is it sin or is it just a weight? And how do I remove these things so that I can more orient my life around the things of God? And I want you to jump in on that too, but before you do, I also think that we have to get rid of the mentality, and I I grew up with this mentality, get rid of this mentality that living for God is about extraordinary moments um, and really lean into allowing God to invade the ordinary moments, folding laundry, playing fetch with the dog, uh, like like God wants to be so a part of all of those things. Um, so I think that's also helpful to, to recognize God even in those ordinary moments. It doesn't have to be an in-depth Bible study, quiet time, uh, you know, on fire prayer session for God to be, for your life to be oriented uh, around the kingdom of God. Those things are wonderful, but, yeah. you know, too often those are the things. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you mentioned one thing that I think is really good is uh, discipleship looks differently for every single person. And I think it could be easy to have a list of, you know, here's the sins and here's the things that you should not do. And, you know, it covers everyone. And someone would be like, I don't struggle with that. You know what I mean? Right. I think it's easy to, to pigeonhole discipleship and make it really simplified. Um, but at the end of the day is, you know, someone might not be an issue for someone, right? Like, they'd be like, yeah, I could spend five hours every single day with the Lord. No problem, you know. And, but I don't know how you could not do that, you know, and someone else is like, man, I can't even get 10 minutes, you know? So I think some of that discipleship piece is not a one-size-fits-all approach that I think we, we like to streamline the approach in our, what looks good in a book, what right. looks good in a list. Here's 10 things you can do to be a better disciple. It's easier you know? to manage. Like, it's easier to manage and kind of have a universal approach, and I think it's too hard sometimes to do that. And the second thing I think, too, with this is um, community is a huge part of this, like, are you having conversations and actively asking someone like, hey, what are the things in my life that you see that I'm lacking in, the things that I'm really, you know, that aren't there that should be? Because um, I think it's easy to do a self-assessment and think we're really good at self-assessment and we've missed all of the assessment. Um, but if we're bouncing off on someone else and saying, what are the things that you see? It's sometimes we there's stuff that we just, we don't know. Um, especially if we some people lack self-awareness and that's okay. But then someone's saying like, hey, let's talk to some of these things that I see in Part of that is then being humble to accept yeah. someone's calling you out or just sharing some information and kind of thinking through that um, and how you receive that. But I think all that still helps in that team forward with discipleship when we're talking through with other people. I, I mean, I think that, that both those points are good, but that second point especially because uh, you're right. Like some some self-assessment only goes so far. You're going to yeah. only be so honest with yourself. Yeah. And also you're going to be blinded by a lot of things in just yourself. And so I think that, that second point is really key of like, 
being invested in, in community, whatever that, that looks also different for other people. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's a walk with a really close friend just on a regular basis. Um, I have a life group. My Karen and I participate in a life group every other week um, with a, with a, a number of other couples and we, we just talk about real life. And so it's helpful. And then, you know, you share something and they sort of dig in a little bit deeper. What do you mean by that? Like yeah. what's, what really is happening there? And, um, um, it's, it's been very life-giving for us and also formational to help us with our own discipleship, you mm -hmm. know, uh, journey. Yeah. So it's good. It's good. So there's another question here. So discipleship is an intentional relationship where one disciples another. Sometimes those relationships happen organically. But what about when you crave discipleship and it isn't happening organically? Um, and again, this is a tricky one, um, partly because I, I think that the model has always been, um, at least in the modern Americanized church, is like one person disciples another person. I was just having a conversation over coffee with a couple of people yesterday, and they were talking about that model of if each person would just disciple one person, the multiplication factor would yeah. reach the whole world. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not bad. Um, but it's also not the only way that discipleship happens. And so there is there is a model of a discipler, one who is uh, older in the Lord, if you will, um, who helps a younger one um, learn the ways of the Lord. And the scripture talks about that. It talks about older men train up younger men, older lady, older women train up younger women in the faith. And so that's a beautiful model. Um, but oftentimes that model becomes the only way that we see discipleship, discipleship working. And with the, the era that we live in, the ability to get together during COVID or just the busyness of people's lives, sometimes it doesn't afford that opportunity. And so we have to remember that a disciple is one who, who orients their life around Jesus in the way that they want to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. So it's oriented around Jesus, not around a discipler, um, per se. And so finding ways to engage in conversations with people um, of the faith um, that aren't that's not necessarily like the, a discipler disciple role. Um, like we're going to meet every single Monday and we're going to have coffee and we're going to talk about that. Not bad, but finding ways to engage in other communities and ways in which you can have these conversations. I think real discipleship happens uh, conversationally in relationship. And so I know when I look back on my life, um, when I was born again at 14 years old, I was afforded this incredible access to the youth pastor and the senior pastor, a very small church up in Washington State, and I was afforded almost like a, a new family member. And so I was able to come and sit down whenever I wanted. Yeah. Like I could walk to the office and there's a couple miles away, I could walk to the church office and I could just sit down in the senior pastor's office and hang out. And then I could ask questions and I could just talk and I could just be frustrated or I could be whatever. And they allow me access. And so I think um, it doesn't have to be um, as, you know, hardline disciple or disciple as much as finding communities, relationships in which, man, I, I just have I just have some things I want to talk about. I play golf with a guy um, who would not consider himself a believer, 
And yet, um, we talk about the things of God all the time. He challenges me on my perspectives of the things of God. I talk to him about, you know, we had a conversation. He's like, do you really think that Jesus is the only way? You know, like, that's a great question for somebody who's on the outside. And, well, yes, I do. And these are the reasons why I think that. And what do you think? And so that's a, that's a process of discipling. He might not realize it, but this is kind of what we're walking through. And so I don't know if that's as helpful as it's a difficult question in that sense. Like, I think our minds are so programmed for that system of discipleship. Yeah. um, When I think we can open up our hearts to a bigger idea of, again, orienting our life around the kingdom of God in relationships in multiple communities where we're being challenged and asking questions and and those things are mm-hmm. are helping shape us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, there's a lot of ways, but I think that's good. All right, um, changing gears from discipleship a little bit. It fits in with discipleship, but um, so kind of in the current church model. I mean, I say model because really everyone's sort of in the same boat with this. It's not really a model. It could become a model, but um, so online kind of thing. Um, how does the church effectively both reach new people and disciple existing believers with the current church gathering model? Now, I'm not sure on this question if they're referring to the current model in the sense of COVID era yeah. or the current model in the sense of what we've done in, in the Western church ideology where, again, it's a monologue where we, you know, we greet everybody, we sing a couple songs, we preach a monologue sermon to everybody um and then everybody goes home <clears throat> and uh, that's a pretty standard sort of yeah. service flow if you will in the american church um and so those are two different ideas i i would say in regards to the covid era um and online church i know people are pushing for like this is the new way to do church and and i would push back against that um i think it is a sufficient way to do church in this season um and i'm thankful for that yeah. Um, but I don't think that it is the new way to do church. Um, I, I, I think that it is too important for people to be together, um, to set aside time, to let us go to the house of the Lord together, um, and to gather with people who we wouldn't normally gather with. Um, I, we don't always choose the people we're sitting by in a local congregation. And so go and invest in that local congregation and gather with those people so so in the COVID era i don't think that that this model of online is the way Um, i think that the the kingdom of god is about intimate relationships you know and and so we this doesn't work well for that sufficient for now um but in regards to the general model of the church i think i know we have been discussing like for hope assembly what maybe the future looks like when we get to gather again and shifting some of that model because I do think that um, we, we're losing discipleship in the local church, not because um, we don't have discipleship programs in Sunday school. I think that question references Sunday school, right? Yeah. Not because we don't have those things. I think that we're losing discipleship because we're not allowing for the time to engage the subjects, mm-hmm. to engage the text, and to wrestle with it together. Um, and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about like in services or like planned ideas and ways in which we can move from more of the um, monologue, everybody's in rows and monologue to more of a 
of a dialogue and perhaps the pastor sets um, the stage with some context, some text, some questions that gets thrown to smaller groups within that moment. And right. we're shaping and working in those moments to sort of wrestle with scripture. I think we've gotten too comfortable in being told what God thinks or who God is or what God says and and never really having to wrestle with that. We just sort of like I checked the box. I, I went to church and then I'm, I'm just going about my life. And so good, you know, compartmentalizing our mm-hmm. lives and not really having to wrestle with the text. And I think wrestling with the text and wrestling with, yeah, I think about, I always think about um, Jacob, you know, the night before he's going to meet his brother Esau, and he's afraid that Esau is still trying to take his life because he took his birthright, right? And, um, you know, evening comes and Jacob has put his family on one side of the brook or river and he's gone over to the other side and it says that he wrestles with God. And uh, I think that that is a, a beautiful picture of discipleship in a lot of ways. Um, in, in, in the sense of um, God is wrestling, Jacob is wrestling with God and, and God is asking Jacob, who are you? And God's not asking a question, maybe you've heard me say this before, but God's not asking this question because he doesn't know that he's God. He's all-knowing. He's not, like, confused, like, wait, which brother are you? Who am I wrestling with again? Um, he's, 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 in my mind, strategically asking this question for, for Jacob himself to recognize his own self. And so here he is wrestling with God or an angel of God, however you want to interpret that. And, and God is saying, who are you? And he's having to confront who he actually is. I'm Jacob, which means supplanter, mm-hmm. deceiver, uh, up to that point. And this is where God changes his name. And when he when he's confronted with who he is, God says, well, no longer. You're going to be Israel, the one who wrestles with God. And, uh, and it shifts his whole trajectory. And I, and I think, you know, he won't let go of God and God touches his hip and he limps from then on out as God has touched his hip, but he's clinging to God. And, and I think if we could sort of find a way to get into communities, um, I think if our churches can figure out how to create communities where we can do that with each other and the word of God, like where, where we read the text and we're wrestling, we say, like, who are you really? And we face like, man, I've been... Uh, manipulator, I've been bitter, I've been broken, and but you know, you name it, whatever those things are, and allow God to touch those moments mm-hmm. and change us. Um, I think that's what the future of discipleship uh, in the local church looks like. And I do think, though, I think that there is great value in the worshiping together, the singing of songs together, I think there's great value in praying together, sacraments together. Um, and in the preaching of the word, I think there's great value in that. But I think we can create some room where we allow people to ask questions and to wrestle with text. And yeah, and I would even say there's a couple ways you can look at this. I think one is we're still pretty in the infancy stages of this, you know, like we're, how we've been moving, right? And I think you look at it a couple ways. It's like if I am a new believer and I don't know anyone, Right, like what? How, how do I figure out and find a church? Right. Well, now I can just pop online and find a gazillion churches. Right. right. They're all kind of doing the same thing. If I'm a believer, 
that haven't been to church, you know, that haven't been a priority, whatever, like I can probably have online and find something too. But I think that it still goes back to the fact of if we're connected with people, regardless of who they are, right? It's like then we're sharing more, you know, so it's kind of a cyclical thing through connection, through community. Um, but I think within all that itself, we just basically took a massive pause to what we've done. And I think the church, and I say universal church, you know, however one call it. Catholic, lower C. Catholic, lower C, everyone. Um, we basically got into a consistent rhythm of doing the same thing every single week, right? Right. You know, for people in ministry, it's like you have your week, but then your week turns around and you've got Sunday again. So you've basically kind of been doing this schedule piece where everything revolves around Sunday, right? And Sunday is the end result of everything. Right. right. The message is the piece, right? The pastor prepares all week to to kill the message and wreck the hearts, you know, and everyone's pointed back to Jesus, you know, and the worship team slays it and everyone is, you know, giving it all to worship, yes. you know, kind of this whole model. And I think, we sing reckless love, everybody cries. Yes, yeah, you know, and if there's not an emotional response and it wasn't a good, you know, right. met service or if there wasn't an altar call and people didn't come up and, not, you know, so, and we've just kind of settled into this rhythm of doing these things over and over and over again. And not all those things are necessarily wrong, um, but I think at the same time, we've also done this where we've had to pause and say, okay, you know, so I would hope from what we've done the last few months and for everyone, right, that we just wouldn't pick up and go back and do the exact same thing because right. that's what we've done, right? Right. And I'm, I'm afraid it's probably what's going to happen for a lot of people. Um, but I would hope that through what we've done and having time to think and step back, because for most people who've been in ministry, you're on every Sunday. Like, you're, you're never not on. And so the opportunity to sort of, even though you're still on on a Sunday, right, it's just different. Right. Um, but to sort of reflect and pause and to actually have a considerable amount of time to rethink yeah. and re-envision um, what the future of the church can look like. Because I think there's a lot of, you know, this is making a new world in how we approach things. And I think, I, I think that's great. And in regards to, like, how do we reach new believers, like, I don't know how we got here, but somehow we got to this place where reaching new believers is about sending out mailers and hoping that they come to our Sunday service. When in reality, reaching new believers, the whole idea of the fivefold ministry in Ephesians, right? The apostle, the pastor, the evangelist, the teacher, the, I'm missing somebody, prophet, um, is to equip the saints for the working of the ministry. Ephesians tells us this. And the work of the ministry is not what is happening on a Sunday morning in our gathering, per se. The work of the ministry is how we're living our lives among our neighbors and our coworkers Monday through Saturday, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, leading people to the Lord shouldn't be a Sunday morning only thing. It should be uh, relationships that we're strategically invested in with people who may or may not know the Lord, uh, whether it be at the local coffee shop or whether it be your coworker in a cubicle over six feet away, of course, uh, whatever that looks like, like that's where we're leading people to the Lord. We're living lives that are our lights are shining forth. And these are the moments that we get to like share the gospel with people. Like I, I'm a leader in young life. Um, my guys are seniors. And so 
we're always trying to invite new guys to come hang out with us when we when we uh, go and play golf or when we um, get just get a cup of coffee together. So we do Bible studies on on Monday mornings right now, and so like, hey, come hang out with us. Um, and so those are the moments, the probably the the best and most strategic times to lead people to the Lord. Yeah. So I think we've got to get back to an idea of like challenging our our churches, our congregants. Um, the, the people of God that the Great Commission is not a Sunday morning mission. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's a as you go while you're going mission. Yeah. Like you have influence in so many places. As you go while you're going, make disciples. Let the light of God shine so forth through you that they're they're going to see your good deeds and then they're going to want to praise your Father who's yeah. in heaven. Like that's sort of a process, and so. If we can get back to challenging our churches and our people to be great commission believers, like everybody is on that mission together yeah. in the world, then, then then that's where salvations really you really start to see an overflow of salvations. Yeah. So I'll ask this question, and he takes a lot of ways. <laughs> so unscripted, unscripted. Um, it's no secret right now that you know. A lot of people are kind of leaving the church, right? They're done. They're not done with Jesus. They're done with the church. You know, they've watched the past few months, even the past few years. You know, we kind right. of wrap the politics in that with the evangelical movement and the right. name evangelical. We wrap that in there. You know, I've thought through myself and had conversations with people. They say, like, I don't even want to tell people I'm a Christian. Right. So, heard that. you know, what, if we're renaming, right, like, if we're recalling, like, you know, right, rebranding, if we're rebranding the church, right? Yeah. What's a name? You know, because I, I think part of that is, is people don't want to be associated with this, right? Right. It's not saying I don't want to, I want to be associated with Jesus and the love of God and the gospel. But this thing, right, this idea, this movement yeah. isn't that. And when I tell someone I'm a Christian, I'm looped in with this. You know, right. Regardless of how I've my character and my walk, but by association, right? This. Yeah. So how do we move forward as a church in this as well? This is, you know, we might not answer this question, but you know, how do we move forward out of this time, this thing that we're kind of wrestling through? I am. Uh, I've been doing a lot of during COVID, doing a lot of reading about sort of how we've gotten here in regards to the church, the evangelical church in particular. Um, well, why don't we pause and maybe try to define that in like thirty seconds? It, and it, it's a tough, it, you know, evangelists, the people that are the carrier of the good news. Yeah. It's essentially what's supposed to be. But the problem is if the good news isn't for everybody, then it isn't good news, right? Yeah. So, like, that's essentially what it's supposed to be. So it was like, it, it was sort of a, uh, I want to say interdenominational, like there were a lot of denominations that came together and sort of created this movement of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, uh, you get you you have the, the beginning of the National Association of Evangelicals, these people. It's just a way for them to sort yeah. of come under one banner or idea or name. And so that name or that sort of association, I've been doing some research like and study on historically, like how do we get to here? Like how are we here where evangelical now is synonymous with um, Republican uh, conservative doctrines of political ideologies, 
Um, and how do we get wrapped up to where they're almost being used synonymously now? Yeah. Uh, and this is why a lot, I've had conversations with a number of friends um, that that's their struggle. They're like, I, it's so much of that, and I don't want to be a part of that per se. Um, and not to get all into the pol- politics of it, right, left, or, or whatever. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, I think, one, we shouldn't be approaching conversations with, hey, I'm a Christian. <laughs> like that yeah. not necessarily should be our shouldn't be our first line towards people i think we should be trying to build relations with people loving people uh taking people out for a meal or coffee or just treating them well you know yeah. and as that relationship develops then it becomes like hey you know why why would you do this or why do you think that way or whatever well you know i follow jesus like yeah. jesus is like everything to me what was that book that was written what was that like 10 years ago on christian or something and it listed all the things that Christians were known for in a bad way. People, you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. Well, there's also John Acuff's like the stuff Christians like or whatever. Yeah, it was kind of it was like, one, it, but, yeah. become almost in a sense known for the things that you shouldn't be known for, Correct. instead of the things that we should. We become known for the things we're against. Yeah, like we bec- because we've engaged. Yes, because somehow we've got and somehow isn't the right word but we don't have time to get into this yeah. somehow because there has been a strategic move yeah. that has happened uh by the powers that be yeah. if you will that shifted us into this idea where we became in, in, engaged in culture wars um with the people we're supposed to be reaching with yeah. the people we're supposed to be loving this the people we're supposed to be inviting to the table you know i've just been meditating on um jesus was eating with sinners he went to eat, he went to dine with sinners. Like, that's an incredible statement about Jesus, right? He yeah. wasn't in a war against the people he was trying to reach. Yeah. Well, he was intense at times, for sure, but the intensity of Jesus didn't come yeah. to the culture war, if you will. Yeah. The woman caught in adultery, or the Samaritan woman at the well, or you know, all these people who were sort of outlier, uh, marginalized people groups who didn't see things, yeah. except the Gentile even, that didn't follow the commands of the yeah. Lord, and the laws of, of of the Jews, he didn't wage war with those people. The people he was intense with were the self-righteous religious people who seemed to think they cornered the market on this yeah. is how God works, and this is only how God works. And so we've got to get, we've got to break out of that idea because I think really, if when we trace it back, it's about power and control. Sure, we've gotten wrapped up in a lot of things that we're not, we've, yeah. we're known for what we're against because we're trying to control culture, yeah. we're trying to gain power over people, and we've got to relinquish that, allow that to be laid down, so that we can embrace the cross again and serve people, mm-hmm. um, and and love people. Um, right where they're at, and and then as they said, why would you care about me? Why would you love me? Then we say, well, because Jesus loves me, and yeah. I love Jesus, and you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so it's difficult. The uh, I think you know we talked about this a little bit. In discipleship Christian is not used in the Bible hardly at all mm-hmm. to to define the followers of Jesus. Disciple yeah. is used the most. Um, and, and this had, took on a negative connotation because I think there was a cult that was started as the way, but they would say they're in the way. Yeah. Capital W, like as a movement of people following a way of Jesus. I do think 
Um, we need to get back to being people in the way, a yeah. movement of people who are following Jesus, not so caught up in the power structures of culture um, and politics, trying to legislate righteousness. No, let's yeah. love people. People can be loved to righteousness. The yeah. kindness of God yeah. that leads people to repentance. Yeah. So they can be loved to righteousness, but they can't be legislated to righteousness. Yeah, so with that, kind of the context of all this, how how do you go about having a conversation with someone who you know you do not agree with, right? Yeah. And I we've probably both experienced this, posting things on Facebook, you know, knowing right now there's a lot of views where everyone thinks their view is right you know for sure so how do we have common decency as people or even as believers to really engage with people um in a way that's healthy and i remember you know a long time ago when i was working at a grocery store i had a conversation with a guy he knew i was a christian he started asking me some questions and after we were done it was like well, if, you know, if I'm right, you know, I'm going to heaven. And if you're wrong, you're going to hell. You know, kind of, and it was like, cool. But he's like, you were the first conversation I had with someone who wasn't angry. You're like, why would I be angry with you when we're just sharing right. our beliefs and understandings? Right. Um, so how, how do we, I think it's an art and it takes practice. But how do we engage people in a healthy way and have healthy debate? Because it doesn't seem that that's current thing that's able to be done successfully. Yeah. For sure. And, I, and you know, in all honesty, like, I don't always do it really well either. Yeah. Like, I, I think that we get sometimes we, we get so wrapped up in being right. And we might be, but we can be right and wrong at the same time. Yeah. Like, we can be saying the right things, but saying them wrong. Um, and so I think we have to be careful there. Uh, humility is huge. Um, recognizing uh, the the intrinsic value of the person that you're having discussion yeah. with, that they are just as valuable as you are, and their perspective is just as important as yours mm-hmm. is. You know what I mean? Like when I see my perspective to be, in my story to be the perspective in the story, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Um, because there are other perspectives and there are other stories yeah. um, that are that are worthy of time and and effort and energy to listen to and hear what's happening there. And so, you know, there's two ditches. One ditch is like, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to be completely neutral to anything that's going on. I'm not, I'm just going to be indifferent. Um, And indifference isn't necessarily a good place to be. You know what I mean? Like you, you should have some convictions about your own life. You should have some convictions about how, Things are governed in our nation, but that's good. Like we should have yeah. those. Indifference, I don't think, is a good thing. But then the other ditch is this sort of extreme radical, you know, um, and in regards to politics, like partisanship, right? Yeah. Um, that is also a problem. And so I try to find a middle ground of like I have convictions, and I I need to be able to critique um, what is happening. Um, from those convictions equally like if if I can't critique I don't I personally don't have a political party but if I if I did if I can't critique my own political party it's now an idol if I can't critique my own p- a position on specific you know uh, issues you know say for instance you know a, a really hot button issue comes up and I'm you know, trying to make a stand, but then the data comes out and the data and the facts show something completely different than what this thing's saying. Am I willing to critique my position 
based off of the actual data yeah. and say, okay, I need to recognize maybe I'm too radical in this thought and I need to shift here a little bit. Um, and we're just fighting to be right too much. Like we, it's like, it's become a zero sum game for some reason, especially in the political realm right now. But even theologically, there's people out there that it's all, there are guys right now who are pushing that if you are in, if you are in their mind concerned about social justice, then you are indeed a Marxist and that you should be excommunicated from the church. Yeah. Like that, there, people are well, pushing We that. both know the people that are keyboard warriors, people that have blogs devoted to, right. you know, being the culturally correct and labeling everyone heretics. Right. You know, YouTube videos, all that kind of stuff that, again, is their perception of potentially what they think right. is right or wrong. Right. And it becomes dangerous. And, I, you know, we've talked about this a lot is the whole idea of silos and echo chambers is regardless of what topic it is, you know, right. we talk about theology, right? Or if we talk about um, politics, we're only concerned with the things that align with our views. Right. And not able to read outside of that. And I, I think for a lot of people, it's a dangerous road to read something or engage with something that you don't agree with because what if you agree with it? What if you're challenged? Right. You know, what, what if you read a, a book on theology that's outside of your comfort zone? And you're challenged to adjust something that you yeah. that you do, and I think it's it's difficult for us now because we have so much resource. Like we can read articles, we can read books, we can you know someone right. can write a book that um, has been their life thesis, right? That they've wrestled through their entire life with God about coming to theological conclusion. Well, now I just agreed with some dude's conclusion, but I've not done any of the work myself right. to get to that spot of understanding it. Right. So. I think it is good for people to have conversations and to think outside of their echo chambers and silos. Yeah. And so I think the healthy piece is knowing of like, this is what I think now, but change my mind. You know, like right. ask me questions. It doesn't have to be going back to what I say, it doesn't have to be a zero sum game. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be I win you lose. Um, it can very much be like I see your point and I and I'm still sort of holding to my point and you're holding yours, and that's okay. We don't, there doesn't have to be a loser in this. Um, I think this is part of the problem that's been happening with like disinformation being spread on like social media sites. It's because I've seen, I've seen believers do this, friends of mine. When I see it, I usually reach out to them and say, hey, just FYI, that's not, that's fake. Please don't share that. Yeah. Um, but I'm like thinking, like, why would you share that without checking? Like, it seems so crazy. Yeah right that you would share that there's a video going around a really popular one right now that uh it's a disinformation video it's been modified to make nancy pelosi look like she's drunk like she's at a press yeah. conference speaking if she's drunk like i'm no fan of nancy pelosi but why would you share that video and not go and check it doesn't take long to find out it's yeah. been it's been modified intentionally to make her look bad so I'm, I'm thinking like, so why would we do that? Is it that we really have turned others into so much of our enemy? It's become so much of a zero-sum game for us that the moment that we see something yep. that we can we can demonize and we can win and we can slam dunk on them, yeah. that we are willing to throw everything out and just try to win that deal and, and dishonor a person. Like that's literally in scripture talks about how that we should not bear false witness against. Yeah. We got Christians online sharing stuff, bearing false witness about people because they see it's an opportunity to win. A zero sum game, I get to win in this moment. And so that's concerning to me. Like 
it doesn't take long to research something. Is yeah. this actually a true statement? I, For me, I'm always like, this seems a little crazy. Or this seems too good to be true. <laughs> right. This, yeah. And why do I want to think, why do I want yeah. to celebrate? Let's say that it was yeah. true, that yeah. Nancy Pelosi, like I, it isn't, yeah. but let's say it was. Why would I want to celebrate that? Yeah. Or why would I want to think that that's something I want to push? Like, look at this unbelievable. No, I want to... Uh, if that was a real situation, my heart would break yeah. for her. Why is she in that situation? What's going on here? Yeah, and that's a good thing because I think a lot of this, we've almost lacked this whole empathy thing. Right. Stepping into someone else's plight, right? Like, right. And I think we've seen this of like, okay, well, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone that's of color, right? So I'm just going to make conclusions because I don't know anyone. Once I have a conversation and I know someone, my viewpoint immediately changes because I've had that conversation, Right. right? You know, I don't have any homosexual friends. You know, this is a tough issue, so I'm just going to make a black, a black statement about it, you know. Yeah. Well, now I have people who I'm friends with, you know. It, it changes it, you know what I mean? And so right. we kind of have these things of like, well, we can go quit to the abortion one, right? And just be like, well, this is all bad and terrible. Have you had a conversation with someone who said an abortion? Like, if you wrestled through some of the things and had right. an empathy of understanding if someone's led to that decision, what's bringing them there, why they're doing that. Right. You know, so there's a lot of other things that I think we're quick to make conclusions to without being em- empathetic to the other person's side of understanding what is bringing them For sure. to that spot too. And I, I don't even know how we got down this trail, guys. Which working? I think the church has done a disservice because we have acted as if having conversations about these things in and of itself. Mm-hmm is sinful or is heresy to talk about hard issues in the church and how how the scripture that we're formed by how should that then work through our lives and help us engage with the culture so we've somehow become afraid to talk about these things as if the gospel is so fragile that if we talk about the issue of abortion, or if we talk about the issue of homosexuality, if we talk about the issue of, you name it, put every hot button on that all yeah. of a sudden, oh my God, I can't believe you talked about that, or I can't believe yeah. you didn't make definitive statements of their, yeah. you know, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Like, listen, Jesus taught oftentimes in those situations through parables and telling stories of like, you know, again, the woman caught in adultery, very, very extreme hot button issue of his time not as a hot button issue anymore but then like that's a big deal yeah and they're trying to force him to 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 stone her they're trying to catch him get him to stumble in in how he responds and he asks questions he's not afraid of that moment and you know understands the other side yeah not afraid of it He's writing in the sand. They're pressing and pressing him. We don't know what he's writing. There's speculation about what he's writing in the sand, which is foolishness. Nobody knows. Yeah. But they're pressing and pressing. He says, fine, if you don't have any sin, whoever doesn't have sin, be my guest. Yep. Throw the first stone. Go ahead. And so that's intense, right? Mm-hmm. Like imagine if we if we talked about people who've had abortions, or if we talk about people who are LGBTQ, um, and and people are like, well, you, we should make a stand and say, okay, fine, but without sin, if you don't have any sin, by all means, throw the stone, right? Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I do have things. Well, I as think well. it's easy because if we make decisions that we're not going to engage in these things, that we kind of wipe our hands about it and just yeah. make it a black decision right? right where it's like i don't know if it's that you know what i mean like yeah. 
Well, just throw them in prison, right? I, I did prison ministry for a really long time. Um, and it completely radically changed my view of, of prison and reform because I went, like, I sat with guys right. in there and had conversations and yeah. saw both sides of the coin of what's happening and understanding and knowing the same point of, like, man, people are so hungry for the gospel right. in, in prisons. Like, like feed me. Like, I mean, for sure. so you want to go change the world? Go into prison and share the gospel and be Bible said. You know, like... Yes. So, and I think that's the hard part is that we can sit on the side and say, don't do these things, stop these things, but we're not willing to actually get our hands dirty in the process. And that goes with social justice, that goes with, yes, you name it. Right? Well, and we forget that these are the ones that Jesus laid his life down for. Yep. And we can make harsh judgments about people in their, not even believers. So yep. I don't know why we're asking them to follow yeah. the ethics that we follow. They're not yep. believers. But we make these harsh judgments about people who are not believers and we wouldn't be willing to lay our lives down for them. Sure. So I think we have to think through that. Like these are people Jesus laid his life down for. Yeah. Before I start making harsh judgments about their lifestyle or what they're doing, could I love them yeah. the way Jesus loved them? Yeah. And then go from there. Like, like yeah. let me start there and then see where that leads. And that yeah. might shift a lot of things in my perspective of these people that yeah. I've engaged in culture wars with. Yeah. You know, how are we in time? Are we good? I have no idea. It's been 45 minutes. All right, we still got time for it. These conversations can go. We, we still got a little time for it. Um, so we've talked a little about politics, we've talked a little about discipleship. Um, so kind of this question that, you know, we've kind of talked about a little bit too is, We've kind of talked about this right, left, up, down, everything in between. So how does a believer kind of land in all of this stuff, knowing the reality that there is these two sides, but then there's also the reality that we're in between heaven and sort of this, yeah, you know, temporary kind of situation, right? you know, right here. Right. So how do we kind of as a believer slot ourselves in with all of these, these things? Yeah, I, um, this is a hard one, right? Because... Right, left, are, are you, you know, conservative, are you liberal, and are you conservative, liberal politically, or are you conservative, conservative, liberal theologically, yeah. you know what I mean, up, down, like, are you heavenly minded, are you earthly minded, are you walking in your flesh, are you walking in the spirit, this whole idea, so there's tension in all of these things, because we are, we are here, God placed us here, um, in the earth, um, to be representatives of his kingdom, speaking of believers in particular, to be representatives, uh, ambassadors, the scripture says, of his kingdom. And as ambassadors, though, aliens, foreigners, sojourners just passing through, it's a tension of recognizing I'm here to represent the kingdom of God, but this place is not my home. And as an ambassador, that means that I do have an engagement uh, uh, responsibility you know? Which is kind of where the left and right comes in. Like, well, how do I fit into this tension of left and right? Um, I think that, um, you know, I've sort of come to a place for myself that any sort of left and right political engagement for me is ad hoc, always, as necessary. When I need to, I will. But I have no allegiance or alliance with, you know, right, 
excuse me, right or left. Which one's my right? What, what uh, right or left, um, and politically speaking, I don't have to align myself. I don't have to identify with those things. Yeah. I can identify as a kingdom person who is concerned with what's yeah. going on in our culture, and so therefore I will engage with the political realms ad hoc, as necessary. I will engage in those things um, in, in an attempt to... Um, What's the greatest benefit for the most amount of people to be able to flourish in this world, right? right? Um, I want to work towards the flourishing of humanity. How can yeah. people be um, have the best opportunity to thrive and be alive? Which now? begs the question, like, you know, end of life, right? You know, the church. Did we do enough to make the world a better place with the message that we were given, the message we believe in? You know, like asking that question, like right. when it comes down to it, did the church, right? Did we do right. what Jesus called us to do, and did we do it well, or do we miss? We miss the boat, right? Right. You guys are way off. You know, right. you you miss it completely, or yeah, it's got some of it. You know, yeah. Um, but I think that question of actively of like, are we being better? Are we doing that's contributing and helping? You know, I, you know, for me, this comes back to like Jesus is our example of this. So he was incarnate. He was born into the earth. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Advent's coming up. We've got a beautiful um, Advent mm-hmm. thing that we're working on. I'm really excited about. Um, but Advent's coming so he's incarnate into the world. So he's he's brought, he he puts on human flesh and, and moves into the neighborhood of uh, Roman oppression and incredible amounts of political tension and turmoil. Um, th- there's a lot. And so he comes into the middle of that um, and begins to show us the way. Mm-hmm. And he never gets caught up. He engages sometimes in the politic of the day. Render to Caesar what Caesar, render to God what God. We talked about that last week. But he never allowed that himself to get caught up in that. So if we don't let Jesus be our example for what you're saying, like did we make the world a better place? If we don't let Jesus be our example, more than likely what we'll end up being is like biblicist and we're like, no, the Bible says, um, and we'll end up like the Pharisees. And how many times did Jesus have to tell the religious rulers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the uh, the Zealots, how many times did he have to tell them, like, no, you think that's what the kingdom of God's about, yeah. but it's not. <laughs> like, you've been searching the scriptures looking for salvation. The scriptures have been pointing to Jesus the whole yeah. time, yet you're rejecting Jesus. Like, we don't want to be those people that are rejecting the way of Jesus because we're searching the scriptures for all of these other yeah. political positions and, and ideas of sinfulness and, and taking these stands and dying on mountains that Jesus didn't die on. Yeah. Like, let's go to one mountain. Let's go to the Sermon on the Mount. Let's sit at the feet of Jesus and hear what was important to him. And he says, the kingdom of God is like this. Yeah. You know, and engage that way. Yeah. Okay, final question before we wrap it up. Um, so what is something that you've learned over the last few months, this election cycle, you know, COVID, kind of all this, and how has it personally challenged you and changed you? Say it one more time. So what is last few months, COVID, election cycle, all that kind of stuff, um, what is something that you've learned, how has it personally challenged or changed you? I actually was at a pastor's conference not too long ago uh, when we had a roundtable where we were talking about this very question. And I think for me, and I'm wrestling through this just in general. 
But I think COVID has shown in general, church, outside the church, whatever, that we, at least in America, have a significant mental health issue. And I'm not talking about clinical. I, I have no yeah. way to gauge clinical mental health issues. Yeah. But we have we have a, a significant mental health issue. We do not know how to cope with with uh, our world being turned upside down. Yeah. We don't know how to cope without having all kinds of uh, things to medicate us mentally to to take up our our sports and our you know our restaurants and our just a, a we've got to be busy all the time yeah. and and I think that it's it, it's shown that we really struggle with quiet we really struggle with uh, with a centeredness um, in something bigger than the moment or the things around us and so for me even myself I, I've noticed it in myself like it's it's really have has really made a, a situation for me where I have to really sort of gauge I need time with the Lord I need time to it's helped me recognize the need to slow down uh, and be okay with slowing down again I'm a I'm an eight I'm a driver mm-hmm. I'm a you know get things done type mentality so it's it's multitasking a lot to so learning how to slow down those things because uh, even for my own mental health, like it's been a difficult season. There's been a lot of not just COVID, but a lot of loss in my own life. Um, and so trying to to allow the Holy Spirit to work in me in the middle of all of that and to help me recognize it's okay to slow down and take a deep breath and let the Lord minister. Um, and it's okay for me to go to the, to the gym and work out. There are things that need to be done. There will always be things that need to be done. But I need that time to reset my own men- mental health, to, to physically feel good so that I can um, engage better with what's going on in the world. Um, and so that's kind of what I've learned. Like, I feel like we have a significant problem. Um, and at, talking with the pastors at their roundtable, it just really resonated with us all. We're seeing it. All of us are seeing it. So um, learning how to maybe even help the church in the future cope with these things. I mean, Jesus told us that difficult times would come. Yeah. And like the moment they come, if we freak out, <laughs> we weren't ready. You know, I think there's a psalm or a proverb that says that if you faint in the day of adversity, your substance yeah. was small. What it means is that when trouble times come, if it immediately takes you out, you just weren't prepared for that trouble yeah. time. You you didn't have what you thought you had, yeah. you know. And so I think it's been a little bit of a shaking and and, uh, and I think we got to help people put their lives back together and get to a, a really solid place mm-hmm. spiritually, mentally, physically to where they can, we can sustain yeah. difficult times, difficult yeah. seasons. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Do you have anything else? I mean, I've got lots of thoughts, but you know, <laughs> I think time we're, for we're it. almost out of yeah. time. Are we so, we mean, can do I this would, for a while. You know, I would just add one thing. I think for a lot of people with the mental piece too is like, you know, just the simple word that's okay. Yeah. Um, I think it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not right? be okay. Like, it's okay to have a bad thing or, like, yes. you know, I ate that thing I shouldn't have or whatever. Like, it's, it's okay. And bad I think days happen. Bad days happen. And, you know, I think some of that self-forgiveness to be okay with not having yeah. it all figured out every moment of time. Yeah. Um, you are loved no matter what. You are, yeah, and I, I think that's the hard part is that, you know, I think we want to have it together and figured out and, mm-hmm. and done and established, right? And we know, but I think if, you know, I've had conversations with a lot of people, and I think this time period has really blown up people's, you know, why 
can do whatever I want now, right? Like, you know, I can move, I can do this, I can close a business, I can start a business. Right. You know, like, I, I think there's there's freedom that's afforded in that, but I think with all that is like, it's, it's okay, like, just breathe, like, messed up on whatever, just figure it out. I think so, oftentimes we get so caught up with the, the judgmental side of the church mindset of like, you know, I think God is most likely probably laughs at most of the times that we think, you know, yeah, you know, that we're trying to like punish ourselves for, you know what I mean? Right. When he's like, okay, so what? Like, you know, cool, let's start over. And, you know, like, that's the whole point of grace. Like, that's the whole point of the belief system of why we believe what we believe is that it's okay. Like, yeah, screwed up, start over, and let's go. You right. Know? Um, so I think just knowing that, that it's okay. It's great. Well, thank you guys for tuning in and listening to us have this conversation. Uh, we're going to do more of these for sure, even when we gather in person. But before you go, let me pray this blessing over you from memory. So be gracious to me. But the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.